There's a word from the Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I'll read it from the New King James Version. Listen to what God's Word says in that 25th verse of the 6th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen. Listen, listen to what he says in verse 25. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. Is not life more than food. I want to preach about looking for life in all the wrong places. Looking for life in all the wrong places. I have had so many questions for God in my walk with God. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior when I was 13 years old. I believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. I received him into my life by faith. I baptized in his name. I united with his church. I've tried to serve God and walk with God. But I, I got to admit, I have had so many questions for God. Now, I have not questioned the existence of God. I have not questioned the essence of God. I don't question God's character and attributes and nature, but I've had questions for God. And I don't think God has an issue with us asking him questions. Jay Allen preached a few weeks ago about I got some questions, about questioning God. And I actually think God is open to our questions. It's not like you're going to ask God something and throw him off his game. <laughs> like, like you get something going on in your head and 
You don't want to ask God because it might mess God up. You ain't going to throw God off his game. You can ask God questions. I've, I've had questions like Joshua that night before he was to go into battle with Israel fighting against the Canaanites in the promised land. And he was walking around outside by himself and Joshua ran into God. And he said to God, are you on our side, the Israelites? Or are you on their side, the Canaanites? And God said, I don't choose sides like that. You have to choose to be on my side. I've had questions like Gideon. That if God is for us, then why are all these things happening to us? I've had questions like Gideon. Where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? That Big Mama and them and Big Daddy and Big Auntie, our grandparents, where are all those miracles? And I've had questions like Jesus. My God, my God, why? And I don't think God has an issue with our questions. I think he's very open to our questions, but I also This is just me personally. I believe that the answers he gives reveal more about us than what we're asking about. But here in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is not taking our questions. It's not our questions for God that he's dealing with. He's dealing with the Son of God's questions for us. And Jesus has some questions for us because for many of us in all this despair and difficulty and hardships and the government corruption and some religious corruption and poverty and sickness and unemployment, all the stuff that's going on, injustice and racial tension and all of that, that that some of us are really in fear and worry and anxiety, and anxiousness. And so Jesus wants, he wants to address this. So the Son of God says, I've heard your questions, now I want you to listen to mine. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has several questions. And I wish I had hours to deal with this, but I don't. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read the questions that Jesus asked without developing them. And I I'm praying the Holy Spirit will help them to resonate with your soul and your mind and your heart so you get out of it what you need from the questions of Jesus. Listen to Jesus' questions in Matthew chapter 6. He asks, what dominates your thoughts? Isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothes? Are you far more valuable than birds? Can all your worrying add one moment to your life? Why are you worried about your clothes? And his last question, why do you have so little faith? And in all this anxiety, all this fear, all this worrying about what's going to happen, what are we going to do, and we're worrying about tomorrow, Jesus said, stop tripping off tomorrow. Today got enough issues of its own. And because of this, it has led some of us to look for life in all the wrong places. Because we think life is about food and clothes and house and cars and 
money and positions. And some of us have life and don't even know it. Because you think your life is about your career and how much money you make and what neighborhood you live in and all that. You already accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. The apostle John said, he that has the son have life. Some of us already have life and don't know it because we don't know what real life is. And then some people think they have life and don't because of what they drive and what they wear and where they live and how much money they make. And they think they have life and don't have it because they don't have Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus said, because we're looking for life in all the wrong places. Jesus said, what does it profit a person if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Or what would you give in exchange for your soul? So Jesus said, I want to address all this worry you have and this fear and this anxiety and what's going to happen and am I going to make it? Jesus said, I want to address that, but I want to address it with the right theology. The reason why some of us are so messed up and in so much fear and worry and depression and despair, our theology is all messed up because we have the tendency of using sociology systems and structures and our experience and exposure and the things that are happening in the world, we have a tendency of using sociology to help shape our theology, our understanding of God. And that's backwards because we'll say, well, God must be like this because of look at all the things happening in the world. So God must be like this. No, you're doing it backwards. You don't use sociology to shape your theology. You use the proper theology, the right understanding of God to help you to deal with the messed up sociology you're dealing with. That's what Jesus is dealing with. He's helping with theology. He says the reason you're in worry, the reason you're in fear, the reason you're trying to figure out if I'm going to make it or not going to make it because you don't know who God is. And you don't know what God does and you don't know how God operates. Because if your theology was right, that fear wouldn't be there. So he, he starts with the, uh, now here's what he says, that your heavenly father already knows what you need completely. He already knows what you're going through. God already knows what you're up against. God already knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling. He knows your emotion. He knows your mentality. He knows your resources or lack of resources. God already knows your need completely. Matter of fact, Jesus was teaching about prayer in the early part of Matthew chapter 6. And he says that when you pray, you don't have to be up with all that public babbling and loud and screaming. You don't have to do all that. He said, because your heavenly father knows what you need even before you ask. Now, he still wants us to ask because God loves it when his children talk to him. But he already knows. That's why when Jesus refers to him in Matthew 6, he says, your heavenly father already knows. Now he said, I don't know about your earthly father, but your heavenly father knows. God is not some deadbeat dad that has children and he don't know he got children. God is not some deadbeat dad with a bunch of children and then won't meet their needs. No, he knows. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. And not only does he know your needs, he knows you. God knows all about you. He's the one that made you. And he knows everything. Of, he knows you so well 
And so the Bible says, the hair on your head has been numbered. The hair on my head has been numbered. That's how closely God knows you. Now, for me, and I know hair on people's heads, I know for a lot of people, that's very significant, and I don't, I don't want to downplay that. But for people like me, hair on my head is very insignificant. The only reason I have hair on my head is because Sharon likes it. If she didn't like it, I wouldn't have hair on my head. It's not important to me. And I definitely wouldn't have his hair on my face except Sharon likes it. And so God said, Jeffrey Johnson, if I'll get involved in the most insignificant things in your life, don't you think I'll do the big things too? And if he's numbering the hair on my head every day, I comb my hair, some of it falls off. That means he got to deal with me every day. He, he knows. That's all I'm trying to tell you. And God wants, God wants to have this personal, intimate, individual relationship with you. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And some of us don't get that. We get caught up in the crowds of Christianity. And we get caught up in the crowds of church. And we show up not what we're about or, or interested in, I should say, our individual person, personal relationship with, with God. But I just want to come get a blessing. I'm going to show up with the crowd, get my blessing, and I'm out. That's like that woman with the issue of blood. Y'all remember her? She was sick for 12 years, couldn't figure out the way to, then found out Jesus was coming through her community. And when she got there, all that crowd was there. She said, I ain't sweating that crowd. I'm going to just sneak up. I'm going to make my way through the crowd, sneak up behind Jesus, touch the hem of his garment, because she knew there was power with Jesus. And I'm going to get my blessing, get my healing, and out of here. And she did. She snuck up behind him got that, and the virtue left, Jesus went into her, she got healed, and she tried to bounce, and Jesus said, oh, wait, hey, hey, somebody touched me. And then Peter said, Jesus, you see all these people bumping into you, and you asking us who touched you? Jesus said, I didn't say somebody accidentally bumped into me. I said somebody with intentionality by faith reached out and touched me. Some virtue left me because Jesus is interested in that individual personal relationship with you. Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming through his community, and all Zacchaeus wanted to do was see Jesus. That's all he wanted. I just want to see Jesus. And there was the crowd again. And Zacchaeus was so short, and he couldn't see over the crowd to see Jesus. So he had the wherewithal, I'm going to run ahead of the crowd and and he did. He ran ahead of the crowd and climbed in a tree and just sat in the tree and waited on Jesus to pass by. And as Jesus was making his way to pass by, Jesus stopped at the tree, looked up, and he didn't just say, come down. He called him by his name. I'm trying to show y'all something. <laughs> he called him by his name. Zacchaeus, come down. Today salvation has come to your house. God knows your name. Your heavenly father knows who you are. He knows what you're up against. He knows what you're going through. And he wants that personal relationship with you. And he knows what you need even before you ask him. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think God don't know what you're going through. No, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows. J. Allen, my oldest son, came by the the house that he brought his two sons, my grandsons, Jeffrey Allen III and Jeremiah. And it was just the four of us there. We were kicking it and having a good time. And after a while, 
Jeremiah, my youngest grandson, started to cry. And I told Jay, man, come on over here and handle this. Your boy crying, man. Your son is crying. He must be hungry. You need to feed him. And Jay said, Dad, he's not hungry. We ate before he came over. Before we came over here, he's sleepy. So Jay picked him up and embraced him and carried him upstairs and put him in the bed and stayed with him. They came back down about five, ten minutes later. And we back again, playing, doing our thing, having a good time. Then time passed, and Jeremiah started to cry again. And I said, Jay, he must not have got that nap out, man. Y'all was only up there five minutes. He said, Dad, that's as long a nap he's going to take. Sharon calls Jeremiah the baby who never sleeps. So he started crying again. And I said, well, Jay, if he's not hungry, he's not sleepy, what's going on with him? He said, Dad, he misses his mother. Here's what I'm trying to show you. Here is a young father that's able to discern the needs of his children without them asking. And if a young father can discern the need of his children without them asking, don't you believe your heavenly father already knows what you need? He knows what's happening in your life. Jesus said, you need to get your theology straight. Y'all, there's a comfort in knowing that God knows. And then Jesus says, God not only knows you and what you're about and all of that, but Jesus said that God cares about you unconditionally. He cares about you unconditionally. Yeah, God has a love for you, and the love is an unconditional love. The enemy tries to make you think you've done something, said something, went somewhere, smoked something, drank something, slept with somebody, you did something, and now you're beyond the love of God. God loves you unconditionally. God can't help but love you. You know how I know that? The Apostle John says, God is love. He can't help but love you. That's a part of his nature. It's part of his essence, part of his makeup. It's a part of who God is. That's what makes God God, his love. He can't help but to love you no matter what you've done and where you've been, the mistakes you made. God still loves you. Paul said, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Not life, not death, not principalities, not powers, not angels, not your past, not your present, not your future. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. God cares. Because some people know what you're going through, but they don't care. And then other folk care, they don't know what you're going through. But God, he loves you. Matter of fact, in, um, in, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was, said that God, God said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I already had design for your life for you before you were even born. Because before I formed you, before uh, I knew you, before I made you. I love the way Marlon Harris, pastor in the land of Georgia, Pastor Harris says that when God was saying, I knew you before I made you, that means, wait a minute, you knew me and you still made me? I'm trying to show you his unconditional love. He, he cares, he knows you and still cares about you. He, Jeffrey Johnson, I, I, I knew you and I still made you. 
I knew you'd mess up. I knew you'd sin. I knew you'd make mistakes. I knew you'd tell some lies. Jeffrey Johnson, I knew, you, I knew you'd go places you shouldn't have gone, treated people in the wrong way, and maltreat others. I, and y'all ain't got to look at me all holy. I ain't the only one. But God knew us and still made us. You know, 34 years ago, y'all made me the pastor of Eastern Star Church. But y'all made me the pastor because y'all didn't know me. Had y'all known me, y'all never would have made me. But God, he knows and cares with this unconditional love that he has for us. And the next time you question the love of God, because the enemy tries to make you think, that here's how the enemy operates. Either, either God loves you and doesn't have the power to change anything, or God has the power to change the things in your life, but he doesn't love you. And it'd be a mess with your mind. But yo, there's something you leaving out of that, that theology. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God doesn't have the power to change it. Or, but it means God is sovereign. Preacher, what is sovereign? God can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he gets ready, with whomever he please, and he can do it without our permission. God is not going to have on social media, his social media platform, a survey to ask what you and I think he ought to be doing. He's God all by himself, Grandma said. He loves you unconditionally. The next time you're wondering, does God care? Jesus said, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Jesus said the birds, they don't plow, they don't plant seed, they don't sow. They don't gather at harvest. Birds don't take their crops and put them in barns and store them up. He said they don't have to because your heavenly father feeds them. He said birds don't have, you know, birds don't, don't have stocks and bonds and mutual funds and 401ks and retirement plans and 403bs and entry-level position jobs and mid-management and executive positions. They don't have to. Jesus said because your heavenly father feeds them. Then he asked that question. Aren't you far more valuable than a bird? And if God will care for the birds, certainly he'll care for his own children. Okay, y'all didn't get it with the birds. Uh, next time you're wondering, does God care? Jesus said, look at the lilies in the field. The lilies, the flowers, th those beautiful, unique flowers, y'all, they, the diversity of beauty, the diversity of color, the multiplicity of color, and, and the beauty that they have. Jesus said, Solomon, King Solomon can't even compare with this, with his clothes. These colors and designs on lilies cannot be imitated or duplicated. And the beauty that they have, and, and Jesus said, your heavenly Father clothed them. Then he said to you and I, stop worrying about your clothes. Am I going to have adequate clothing for me and my family? If he'll clothe a flower, surely he'll take care of his own children. Okay, y'all don't like birds and flowers. Let me go a step further. When you start questioning the love of God, then look at Calvary. Does God love me? I'm catching hell. I'm going through. Does God love me? Look at Calvary. Calvary screams that God loves you. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, Romans 5 and 8. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't even wait till we got better. While we were still messed up, 
Christ died. That's his love for us. They raised him high. They stretched him wide. He bowed his head. For you, he died. Y'all, that's love. And he cares. And he loves you. He's there for you. I, 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 was, I was coming to church. This has been a couple of years ago. I was coming up Pendleton Pike, and then you get to East 38th Street, and it turns into Massachusetts Avenue, and I was coming up on the back of the church, and it was in the winter. When I, it wasn't no nice winter like cute winter we had this year. It was a real Indiana winter with snow and blizzard and all kind of stuff that had come through. And so I was still coming down to the office every day. And it was early in the morning. And, and the city had sent out their trucks and, you know, clearing the way and throwing down salt and all that kind of stuff. But the roads were still, still had some challenges. And I get to that intersection. And I hate that intersection. That's a dangerous intersection at East 38th Street. And Massachusetts Avenue and Pendleton Pike, that's a mess. And then the next one is worse than that. And, and when I was approaching that intersection, I didn't know it was black ice there. I didn't even know the ice was there. The light turned red, and I put on brakes. And even though I put on the brakes and my brakes were working, the car kept moving. And then the car started to turn. It started to get out of control and move right into the intersection, and there's nothing I could do about it. I was holding on. I got my foot on the brake. Car still moving right into the intersection. It's out of control. And I praise God that there was no cars. I don't take that for granted. That's the grace of God. There was no traffic coming at that time. And when I had my foot on the brake and the car started to get out of control, my seatbelt tightened up. My seatbelt got It started holding me tighter. It embraced me more closely. I didn't even know I had that feature. I've had that car 14 years, and I didn't know that there's something inside that car that when things get out of control, it'll hold me more firmly. And the Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, if folk that created your car had enough sense to put something in it, that when things got out of control, it'll hold you more firmly. Don't you think God, in the power of his Holy Spirit, will keep you in perfect peace? He'll hold you when life gets out of control. And some of y'all been saved for 14 years and didn't even know you had that feature. Anybody know God will hold you in tough times? He cares. He knows. Let me give you one more and I'm done. This is Jesus helping us to get our theology straight. And Jesus says that God will add to you miraculously. I said God will add. In your, God will add everything you need in a miraculous way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need will be added unto you because I serve a God that knows how to add to your life. My God shall supply all your needs. You, I, I, told, I, I told the church a couple of weeks ago in Bible study, I said there's a shipping crisis in the United States which led to a supply crisis, a shipping crisis, a supply crisis. That's why all that stuff y'all ordering, it takes forever for it to get to you if it ever gets to you, because America is in a supply crisis that's been caused by a shipping crisis. But y'all, that's, that's in America. That ain't in glory. God has no supply crisis. 
because he supplies all your needs according to the riches, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He has no shipping crisis because he does it by the means of Christ. Jesus knows how to get a blessing to you. Sometimes he'll do it through a job. Sometimes he'll do it through a company. Sometimes God will get a blessing to you through a family or a friend. Sometimes God will get a blessing to you through a hater. Sit here on my right hand while I make your enemies, your haters, your footstool, and God will use them to get you to another level. Y'all, the wealth of the wicked have been stored up for the righteous because Jesus has no shipping problem. He knows how to get a blessing to you. I serve a God that adds. I mean, Jacob, let me use Jacob for a set. Jacob, that first recorded thug in Scripture. He messed up with that thug life and messed up with his family and his community and had to leave, try to find a new community to get himself together. And on the way there, all that difficulty and hardship and desolation and darkness, he was between a rock and a hard place. Life had become difficult for him. He's unemployed and messed up with a jacked-up past. That's when he met God with angels coming and going on that ladder and showing up in his life. And Jacob ends up being the progenitor for the 12 tribes of Israel and becomes a multimillionaire because we serve a God who adds. Okay, y'all didn't say amen because y'all don't like ex-thugs. You don't like the fact he lived that thug life. Let me go with Moses then. Moses was born a Hebrew slave, but he was raised as an Egyptian prince and and Moses was next in line to be the, the king of Egypt. But then Moses lost that good government job. And that's because he had an anger management problem. He didn't know how to handle and manage his anger. He didn't know about conflict resolution. And he got so angry that he ended up killing somebody. And now he's got this felony in his background and jacked it up in his community. So he tries to get a new start in Midian outside of, outside of Egypt. And there he is, unemployed. There he is, broke. There he is, his life is all messed up. Then he met God at a burning bush. The bush was burning, but it wouldn't burn up and it wouldn't burn out. And he met God. And when he met God, God used him to bring deliverance for two million people to bring them out of Egypt. And when they left Egypt, God made it so that the Egyptians had to give them silver and gold because I serve a God that's able to add. And matter of fact, let me throw my testimony in here with Jacob and Moses. Y'all, I know what it means to be broken. And I know what it's like to come out of a broken family. And I know what it's like to be broke finance. See, some folk looking at where I am now, don't just look at where I am now, look at where God brought me from. But the reason I am where I am now is because God adds. And now that you know that God knows, now that you know that God cares, now that you know that God adds, adds what is your response to that? Now you got your theology right. What are you going to do with it? Jesus tells you what to do with it. Now, seek ye first. Kingdom of God and his right. See, some of us have been out seeking all kind of stuff. We seeking cars and clothes and condiments and all that kind of stuff. Who was it? Martin Luther King Jr. just said, we spent our lives trying to climb the ladder of success and then come to the end of our life and discover the ladder's leaning on the wrong wall. 
You need Jesus, but you've got to seek. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God? The rule of God, the reign of God, and his righteousness. That's why some of us, some of us, well, if God adds, then why hasn't he added? That's a great question. It's not because God has a supply problem. It's not because God has a shipping problem. Maybe it's because you have a seeking problem. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If, 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 if my needs are not being met, I used to question God. Now I ask myself questions. Jeffrey Johnson, have you been seeking the rule, the reign, and the righteousness of God? Because some of us seek God, but we don't seek his kingdom. And he's talking to disciples. You already have God. You've already invited Christ into your life of forgiveness of sin. You already saved. You already have God. But what you don't have is the rule, the reign, and the righteousness of God in your life. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But God's kingdom can't come until your kingdom goes. God ain't sharing the throne. I don't know why y'all ain't saying amen. God ain't sharing that throne with you. If you want God's kingdom to come, then your kingdom must go. And we have, and some of us are seeking the church, but not the kingdom. And thank God for the church, because the church helps us in our seeking the kingdom. But you're already part of the church. But what about the kingdom business? If you want your life turned around, if you want God to add, then get, get your priorities straight. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Everything you needed will be added unto you. I'm going to close like this. I had a Zoom meeting on Friday. I went, I, don't, I went to two conferences back to back, and then I preached somewhere in between those, so I can't get all the dates and times right. My, I, got, I need God to add to my mentality. I get back on that Friday, and I got a Zoom meeting. Yo, I am all Zoomed out. I had two and a half years of Zoom. I'm, I'm Zoomed out. I got this Zoom meeting, and it's a company that wants us to use their services. They say they have exactly what we need for what we're getting ready to do in this season, in this ministry, and where we're getting ready to go, and they have exactly what we need to help us to get there. So they wanted to present what they do. And so they called us. me. I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go to the Zoom meeting and see what's going on with them. So I was on the Zoom meeting. The executive pastor from the church was on the Zoom meeting. The human resource director of our ministry was on the Zoom meeting. A, one of the deacons, one of the elders of the church council, and another uh, dedicated member of the church. We're going to hear them out. We did that for about an hour. When the hour was over, the representative from the company was getting ready to shut down the meeting. And Pastor Anthony Murdoch, the executive pastor, said, now this is your meeting, right? And she said, Yes, I'm the host. And he said, well, we need, we, we need Eastern Star Church. Well, we, we need that debrief. We want to talk about what we just heard, but we don't want you in on the meeting. But you're the host. This is your meeting. He said, well, how is it that we can have some time to debrief without you? She said, that's no problem. All I got to do is turn it over to you. And when I turn it over to you, then I, I can leave. And that, that'll be the end of that. And then I don't know what she did on, on her laptop. A few seconds later, she got so excited. I did it. I turned it over to you. And then on my screen, it read, the new host is Anthony Murdoch. 
So she turned it over to him. As the, now, those of you who haven't had Zoom meetings for two and a half years, when I went to get on the Zoom meeting, when I clicked on the link, it said, wait, the meetings get ready to start. The host will let you in. Because whoever the host is determines who gets in and doesn't get in. Whoever the host is determines who's involved and not involved. But she turned it over to somebody else. Now there's a new host. That's what I'm trying to tell you, that some of us have had our own thing going all our lives. We've been our own host, making our own decisions, who's coming in, who ain't coming, what we going to do or not going to do. And I'm telling you, if you want God to start adding, you need to turn that over to Jesus. Go ahead and push the button of faith. Turn it over to Jesus and let Jesus be the new host. Let him make the decisions. Let him decide who comes in and who gets. Do I have a witness in here? Because there's something about that name, Jesus. Who was it? Kathy Taylor said, oh, how precious is the name of Jesus. She said, when you're feeling lonely and in despair, he cares for you. That when you're in doubt and can't see your way out, He'll see you through, see you through, see you through. That he answers every time you call. Somebody knows he'll pick you up when you fall. His name is Jesus. Kathy said he's the joy in the time of sorrow. He's my hope for tomorrow. I'm telling you, turn it over to Jesus. Let him be the host. Won't he work it out? That problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I tried and I tried, but I kept getting deeper involved. But I turned it over to Jesus. I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord. Won't he work it out? Then somebody shout, yes, he will. Won't he do it? Won't he feed you? Won't he clothe you? Won't he open doors? Won't he make a way? Won't he answer prayers? Then somebody give him glory in here.